You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. I am so delighted to introduce my next guest on the podcast. Her name is Brittany Braswell. She is a registered dietitian and recovery coach who helps women struggling with disordered eating and negative body image reduce their anxiety and disordered behaviors so that they can confidently restore their health and ditch food rules forever. Brittany emphasizes the importance of replacing negative beliefs with spiritual truth to help her clients discover their God-given identity without their eating disorder. She runs a virtual practice with one-to-one services and group coaching programs to help women achieve lasting freedom from the bondage of their disorders. And fun fact, Brittany worked with Patrick Mahomes of the NFL's Kansas City Chiefs his senior year at Texas Tech University. So that's pretty exciting. Brittany, you have, that is a, such a fun fact. Anyway, Brittany, welcome to the show. I'm so glad that you're here today. Yes. Thank you so much, Meg. I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Yay. Oh, <laughs> Brittany and I actually uh, have worked together in the past with some mutual clients. So we know each other pretty well, and I'm really excited to have her on the show. Uh, so Brittany, to get started, I'd love to ask you how you became a registered dietitian who specializes in eating disorders, because it's, it's kind of a niche field to be in. It is. Um, and I will say, honestly, like I didn't anticipate coming into that. That wasn't my uh, initial goal, I guess, when I became a dietitian. But the Lord just really laid it on my heart. It became, it's become such a passion um, of mine. So I think I sort of accidentally got into the eating disorder side of things. When I was in undergrad, um, I got to interview for one of our classes. We had to interview a dietitian and I interviewed our dietitian on campus who was the sports dietitian that worked with football team and a lot of the different um, athletic groups. And so interviewed him. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I would love to work with people who are kind of on the performance side of things who were focusing on wellness. And I really loved the the preventative aspect. But the more I got into it, um, the more I was kind of studying about like the aesthetic sports. So things like gymnastics, dance, um, even things like track, um, weight related things like, um, um, uh, what am I thinking? Like wrestling, boxing, where they have like weight classes they have to meet. Right. And the prevalence of eating disorders and disorders eating was so much higher in those areas. Um, and I just saw so much potential for, for helping people really get out of something that could be life impacting. That's outside of just their, just their sport or their field. And, uh, so I got into to grad school intending to go into sports nutrition, and as, as the Lord would have it, the professor who I thought I was going to be working with transitioned to another university, like 
a couple of weeks before I started grad school. So um, I got placed with another professor who is amazing, worked with the, the dietetic students and interns, and I love working with students. So that was so much fun for me. Um, but in that process, I got to take a brand new course that they were offering um, on treatment of eating disorders. And I loved it. I was like this, I, I feel like this is really an area that I could have a lot of impact on um, and get to get to help people from the preventative side, but also so much more than, than the physical health aspect. Mm-hmm. So I, I, once I really got into it, I've, I've had a, uh, gotten, I've gotten to experience helping women at lots of different levels of care, started off in inpatient, which is kind of a, a different ball game, right? Getting to see women when they're really needing some of that extra stability and, and medical care. Um, and then I've also gotten to work with women, you know, currently now at the outpatient setting, but also in sort of the residential and sort of live in treatment setting. And I just really love it. I find that, um, there's, there's so much room for these women to grow and that the recovery process is not just about weight restoration. It's not just about nutrition. Um, and this is coming from a dietitian, right? Like it's not all about nutrition. Um, I think it's a super important part of it, but I really love having the opportunity to impact women just past the physical point too. Wow. That's really amazing. And I can totally identify with that. There's so much more to eating disorder recovery than just the food and the body. Mm -hmm. There's so much uh, psychology behind it. And what we're going to be talking about today is really a big part of recovery. And I guess that's a really good chance for me to introduce our topic, which I'm so excited. Today, we will be talking about limiting beliefs and how those have an impact on your recovery journey. And also how you can start reframing your limiting beliefs so that you can really realize your full potential in your eating disorder recovery journey. Brittany, that was a beautiful story. I really find it amazing, but also not surprising when people are exposed to eating disorder recovery treatment as a dietitian and have that spark like mm-hmm. ignited within them because it's such a different approach to nutrition. It's a very healing approach. What would you say did you love the most about the eating disorder dietitian field when you were first exposed to it? Like what ignited that spark within you? Yeah, I would, I would say that, um, you know, previously before transitioning into the eating disorder realm, I was in the hospital setting for a little while. And I really, my, my passion is not food. It's not nutrition. It's people and it's relationships. And when, since being in the eating disorder treatment setting and getting to work with these incredible women who have so much potential, um, I think the thing that really sparked it for me was the relational aspect of really getting to not just treat the symptoms. When you're in a hospital, you're kind of helping people get medically stable and maybe you're helping them like recover from a surgery or a specific chronic condition. Um, but really in this area, you get to treat the whole person and you're not just putting a, putting a bandaid on what's happening because of things you get to really get to the, to the root um, of the issue or the struggle. And I love that. Cause I feel like there's so much more potential for impact and growth there. I completely agree. And that is so exciting. We're really happy to have you here today and to be talking about limiting beliefs. 
to set the stage for everyone, could you define exactly what a limiting belief is for those who might not know? Yeah, absolutely. So a limiting belief is really just an untrue thought pattern that can make you feel stuck. Okay. So it doesn't mean you are stuck because you believe it, but can make you feel that way. And it's often going to prevent you from really reaching your goals. So this, this holds true in the eating disorder recovery space, as well as other areas of your life. And so that's something I like to explore with my clients. Um, And we really back it up to before we recognize limiting beliefs, we really start off with core beliefs. So a little bit of distinction there is that a core belief is just anything you believe to be 100% true, 100% of the time. Um, So for a lot of my clients, they have core beliefs that relate to food or to their body or to their family or their relationship or weight, right? It could be specific physical things. It could be beliefs you have about your faith. It could be politics. It could be the world in general or people. Um, and so what we really like to start there and figure out what are those things that you really believe at your core. And then from that point, which one, what of those beliefs maybe are based out of a place of fear, or maybe they are a lie that is this, that creates this limiting belief that's preventing you from growing in your recovery. Wow. Okay. So that's an interesting distinction. So you correct me if I'm wrong, we have our core beliefs. And then some of those beliefs, we look at those beliefs and say, Mm -hmm. which of these beliefs are coming from a place of fear. And that kind of shows us which ones might be our limiting beliefs. Yes, absolutely. And, and there's definitely other limiting beliefs that you can have that maybe aren't fear-based, but a lot of the recovery ones are going to kind of stem from that point. And so it's usually a good, just little like, "Hmm, okay, that's a red flag. This might be something that could be holding me back. Yes. Oh my gosh. And it's sometimes it's hard to distinguish if something is coming from a place of fear as well, because you've had it your entire life. Maybe you just learned it from your family growing up. It's something you have to unpack and you don't even realize there's fear from that or fear based in that. Um, Right. Right. So like, so like I'll have a client, like one of their um, core beliefs was, you know, carbs are bad or carbs are bad for me. Right. And so initially she was like, well, that's not that's not a fear-based belief, but you start digging into it and go, okay, well, why do you think carbs are bad? Okay. Well, I feel like maybe they're going to make me, you know, gain weight, right? Okay. Well, why don't you want to gain weight or what is, is that something that's scary for you? And for most of the fact, well, no, but I just don't want to do it. What do you think would happen if you gained weight? Right. And so it's kind of asking yourself these, these deeper questions on how did I even get to that belief in the first place? And usually once you start answering those questions, you can figure out, okay, is it just a misbelief? Is it something that I've just heard growing up? There's no maybe emotion tied to it. It's just, I just believe it's true because that's what I was told. Mm. Um, Two plus two equals four, right? Like Mm. I'm not, (laughs) no major emotion associated with that. It's just a belief. And and some of them you'll kind of see, okay, well, maybe the thought of that happening is actually a little nerve wracking or anxiety provoking. Um, Mm. So sometimes it takes a couple of questions to figure out, is it, is it, or is it not? Yes, very true. Very true. So when we're thinking about these core beliefs and these limiting beliefs, what are some of the most common beliefs that people with eating disorders come to you with when they start their recovery journey? Well, I know it just, it really varies for every person, but I've kind of seen the four sort of 
I'm going to call them like umbrella categories of limiting beliefs. Um, and we can walk through, you know, a couple of these, if we get to all four, that's awesome too. Um, kind of the first sort of umbrella category relates to worthiness. So mm-hmm. where you find your worth. Um, another one is capabilities. So what you feel like you're currently or could be capable of a big one for a lot of, um, a lot of women and, and men is control. So feeling like maybe I should be in control or I need to be. Um, and then the last kind of big category I see beliefs fall under is possibilities. So trying to figure out what do I feel like is possible in recovery or what's not. Mm, that's so interesting. So let's go through them and maybe see if we can come up with examples of a few beliefs in these categories. And then what are some of the common reframes that might be helpful for those who are living with those beliefs in their mind right now? So the first one you mentioned was worthiness. What are some beliefs? I know I can think of some, but what are some Mm -hmm. beliefs that you see a lot in your practice? Yeah. So I think the beliefs that I see show up around worthiness, um, they can show up a lot of different ways. A lot of beliefs involve comparison right? Like somebody Mm -hmm. might believe that they're not worthy of doing something because they see somebody else who they feel like does it better or is better. Right. And so comparison, I think is really the thief of joy. And so the more that you compare, the less joy you're going to experience. And usually that lack of that lack of joy or that increased comparison is going to constantly decrease your worthiness. Um, another thing that a worthiness related belief might show up as is lacking boundaries, right? If you are really struggling with your worth, um, oftentimes you're going to, you're going to say yes to things you normally wouldn't, right? If somebody asks you to do something or ask for help with something and you are physically or mentally or emotionally spent, but you're worried about what somebody's going to think about of you, um, then you might say yes anyway right. To try to, to prove, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm worthy. I can do this. My, my worth maybe comes from, if you feel like your worth comes from your ability to follow through with something, right. Or trying to prove yourself. That's another way it shows up a lot. Um, and then distraction is another huge one. Like if you, if you are constantly, um, distracted with things that are maybe not, not typically a big priority, um, like little things that constantly take away your attention, then it's really easy to say, okay, well, where's my worth actually found? Is it here? Oh no, maybe this is more important. Maybe it goes here. Um, or I really want to get better at this. And so it can kind of feel a little disjointed sometimes. Um, and I think that's when people don't always pick up on as much, but I find that that's, that's very consistent. And the root, I think of a lot of these worthiness related issues comes back to misplaced identity. And I see that as a, a big thing for a lot of my clients is, really just struggling with where do I find my identity? And, uh, and that is something that I'm super passionate about. That's a, a, a big part of my group coaching program. I really do a deep dive into the identity piece and look at where, where is it that you're finding your identity right now? Mm-hmm. Is it, is it in, is your worthiness coming and your identity coming from how other people see you? And if so, to what degree, right? Um, and the biggest, I guess, point of encouragement that I'll, or, or direction I like to give a lot of my clients on this is to, to ask yourself the question is the place that I'm finding my identity, is it unshakable? Is it unchanging? Or is it something that's going to 
you know, ebb and flow, right? Because people are so imperfect, you know, myself included, I'm like preaching to the choir here. Um, if somebody <laughs> is going to try to put their identity in what I think of them, I'm, I'm a woman, I have hormones, I'm like, my mood's going to change, right? So if I'm just in a bad mood one day, it might have nothing to do with another person. But if I'm short tempered and give them a quick response, or, you know, I'm terrible about checking text messages and responding immediately. If somebody goes, well, Brittany didn't respond to me. She must hate me or she must be mad at me. And part of their identity is in getting that external validation. Mm. Then they might feel less worthy that day because their identity, you know, wasn't, wasn't in a place that's unshakable. Wow. I love the word unshakable. I think that's brilliant. I've never used that word on this podcast before, but I think it's so true. Like, where are you placing your worth? And if it's coming from a, a shakable place or a place that's <laughs> inconsistent or varied, it's, it might not, it might be a misplaced identity. And mm -hmm. that's interesting to think about. And I love the way you nicely articulated that. And also when it comes to distraction, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of that before. You were talking about how some people find their worth through like one project and then they're like, oh, my worth is going to come here and then it's going to go to this place and this place. That was something I struggled with throughout my entire life, I would say, until probably the last three years. I really cracked the code. And I was like, I need to actually commit to things long term and stop having this worthiness ADD, I guess, where I'm just going from one project <laughs> next and not really seeing it through. Yeah. And I think that the other way that um, th this almost gets disguised sometimes is busyness, because there's something in our culture. Um, and it's not just women, like it's, it's everybody, it seems like on there's, there should be this point of pride on I'm busy, right? Like if you, if you're listening to this and you think about like when somebody asks you, Hey, how are you doing? How often have you said, Oh, I've just, you know, I've just been really busy. And <laughs> we, it's almost like it becomes, Hey, I'm doing this or I have my kids, you know, I have a couple of kids. I'm getting ready to start swim lessons for, for my son. And I have to catch myself when someone says, Hey, Brittany, how are you doing? Or how have you been to not say, well, I'm, I'm busy. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's not, we don't want to be busy all the time. Um, yeah. There's an acronym that, that I go through with busy with some of my, my faith-based clients, but it just has to do with really, you are, it, it kind of leaves you in this place of feeling stuck, right? Like something, something else is actually controlling your time rather than you being uh, creating, like having time as a priority and saying, I've got to prioritize rest too. And not just yeah. sleep, but like, mental rest, physical rest, emotional rest, right? And the recovery process, mm -hmm. we've got to have a chance for our emotions to not be like, go, go, go all the time. Um, and I don't know that mm -hmm. can, that can be scary because when you rest, it gives you time to think. And that's not always comfortable in the recovery process. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But it's, it's so necessary and makes so much more progress, um, not just on your recovery, but I mean, you have such a higher quality of life when you create that margin in your schedule and allow yourself that time to rest. I completely agree. And I will assign people homework to rest throughout <laughs> yeah. the day because I find even the sort of recovery clients, they, they get trapped in that loop of busyness equals worth or productivity equals worth. Yes. And there's a lot of guilt from just resting. 
I, I want people to reclaim that and really see it as a skill and see it as yes. something that can be practiced and learned so that you can separate your relaxation and your rest from your worth. It doesn't have to be, or if anything, you can say, wow, I'm, I'm really taking care of myself now that I'm allowing myself to rest. And that might be, yes. yeah, yeah. So I love yes. that. <laughs> yes. And it's something that I, I think can be, if, if you want to even look at it from a productive standpoint, rest has so many benefits, right? Like we don't just sleep at night to recover from the previous day, right? That's necessary. But if we can think about rest as something that we're doing in preparation for the next day to help us be present and alert and a little more, you know, cognitively aware, it, it has a benefit, not just for recovery, but for preparation too. Yeah, it really does. There are benefits in moving forward. Rest isn't just about recovery. It's about how it's about uh, recharging and re-energizing yes. so that you can be show up in a better place when you're ready for those moments when you do actually need to be productive or present. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we just went over number one, which was worthiness. What about capabilities? You're, we're talking, what kind of beliefs show up around capability in recovery? So I would say the things that I see the most um, when it comes to capabilities is beliefs showing up as lack of confidence, right? So when you are really struggling to not just be confident, but, but to voice it, right? I feel like that's something that, that people, whether, whether you struggle with disordered eating or not, confidence is something that can affect everyone. And when you have lack of confidence, usually you're lacking, um, you're, you're lacking that belief that you are capable of something. So that's a big one. Um, and then over striving, a lot of beliefs around like, Hey, I have to have to work harder. I have to do more it's kind of falls in line similar with the, the busyness, but like, I've, I've got to push more. I've got to keep getting better because you feel like maybe you're not capable enough of maybe it's recovery or maybe it's a specific, you know, skill within recovery. Like I've got to constantly strive to um, meet my meal plan. Otherwise, you know, this black and white recovery process, like I'm failing at it. Right. Um, that, and that's something that we could touch on later. Uh, I know that's uh, the, the black and white sort of mentality around recovery uh, can be a huge, a huge mindset blocker too. And then I know I have to explain this, this last one, I think to a lot of my clients is imposter syndrome. Um, and I don't know if something that that's, if that's something everyone's heard of, but imposter syndrome is really like, just when you have that fear of being found out, right. Or like, I feel like I don't have what it takes. And what if somebody, what if somebody figures that out? <laughs> and, and that's usually a huge limiting belief when it comes to capabilities, because you feel like, okay, I'm trying to sort of put on this mask and hope nobody sees that I'm really not, I don't feel as capable of something as I think I am. Mm, yeah. I see that one all the time. Imposter syndrome really, I think resonates with a lot of the listeners. How would you reframe imposter syndrome? If you, if you have a client who comes to you saying, you know, I don't think I really have what it takes and I don't want the world to know that. And isn't there uh, do you have a way to do that? Yeah. So I would say like for, for capabilities, a lot of that, the root mindset issue there is looking at, do I have a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? And so mm. a fixed mindset would be where you have, you have this belief that 
your your basic abilities are just fixed traits, right? That you're given a certain amount of intellectual ability or whatever it might be, and that that's what you're given with and that's what you've got to work with. Whereas the growth mindset is when you believe that your abilities can be further developed, right? That with maybe you get some teaching or coaching, maybe you um, put in a little bit more time or energy or effort into learning something or developing. Um, and persistence is a big one, right? Like that when yes. something comes up against you, you know, especially in the recovery process that maybe, maybe your meal plan doesn't go exactly how you wanted it to that day. Or maybe there's a trigger that comes up that you didn't even know was a trigger. Right. And instead of just saying, okay, well, obviously, you know, I'm not capable of overcoming that then being able to persist and say, well, let me try a different coping skill the next time, or let me approach it a different way. Or maybe when I'm in a different mindset on another day, I'll be able to overcome that differently. Right. And so having that persistent mindset. So I think, um, kind of a big way to, to reframe is to really just notice your wins along the way. I mm -hmm. love celebrating wins yeah. with clients. And it's, um, I think this is a, a general people struggle <laughs> as a whole <laughs> is that we, we want to just celebrate like the huge ones, right? Like we want to say, Oh, I'm recovered or I've been in recovery for X number of years. We don't want to say, Hey, I took a bite of a brownie today and I haven't had one in 10 years. Right. Mm -hmm. Or um, I, I put sugar in my coffee. I always drink it black and I put, a, you know, a spoonful of sugar in it today. That's a huge win. And so when you can celebrate those along the way and you can see the growth in the process and you're not just focused on that in line, I think that's a huge way, um, you know, to stay away from. I'm just going to focus on the final result, but I'm going to notice those those wins and that growth along the way. Mm -hmm. That is so important. And it really does keep motivation up, too to just always focus on those little victories because I know a lot of us are perfectionists and we think of and black and white thinkers. And if like, if we're not fully recovered, we haven't succeeded yet, but really it is a true success to take that bite of a brownie after not having it for 10 years. I, I couldn't agree more with you on that one. So I really love hearing about those reframes for those limiting beliefs on capability. That was really insightful. Number three, you were saying the next umbrella of mm -hmm. beliefs about control. Yes. What are some common beliefs about control that you like to see and how might you reframe those for those with eating disorders? Well, I think of, uh, of all of these four categories, control is definitely one of the top two that I see like in, mm -hmm. I, I would say close to a hundred percent of clients, right? Cause it is. I won't say it's impossible, but it's very unlikely that that your eating disorder is not playing some sort of control role for you, right? And so a lot of the control-related limiting beliefs show up as procrastination, right? Like, mm. um, and procrastination and perfectionism, they kind of go hand in hand, right? Like, so if you feel like you, um, you need to be in charge of something, you have to control the outcome, but you're not confident that you can control the outcome, you might keep putting something off. Right. So like challenging a fear food, if if you know, hey, when I eat, you know, these same 10 or 15 safe foods, I know this is how I usually feel afterwards. But I'm terrified because I can't control. I don't have any idea how to predict what my emotions are going to do, what my body's going to do if I eat something new. So I'm just going to procrastinate it. I'm going to put it off. Right. Those are big ones. 
that's a big one. Yeah. You said you see that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the perfectionism, I think is another one that kind of goes hand in hand with that is not even just doing it, but if I do something differently, is it still going to be as good as what I was doing before? Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I think, um, the, the eating disorder kind of becomes that thing that so many, so many people say like, this is something I'm really good at, right? Like this is not just something I can control, but I feel like I'm not good at anything and I'm really good. I'm getting like an A plus in my eating disorder. <laughs> um, and that just sort of bites that, you know, perfectionism sort of tendency or, or personality. And it doesn't, one of the things I think that really helps with that with my clients. Um, and again, this would be from kind of the faith-based standpoint, but giving yourself permission to not be perfect and knowing that there was only ever one person who was, or will ever be perfect can just take that, take that pressure off of you to say, I have permission to make mistakes and the world's not Mm going to fall apart. If something doesn't go exactly how I want it to go. I think that's, that's a really big one. Mm -hmm. And I think the only way you start to learn that and really believe it is when you start allowing yourself to make mistakes and you survive those mistakes. You're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. What am I worrying about? That was, (laughs) yes. I thought the sky was going to fall down and I'm the same person that I was yesterday. Yes. And and a huge, a huge part of that. And I'm in total agreement with that statement, because I think until you are willing to let yourself quote unquote fail, um, at whatever you're trying to do. It's, it's not about not failing. It's about when I do something that turns out differently than I was hoping for, how quickly do I get back on the horse and keep going? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that just kind of plays back in again to that persistence on saying this, what makes me stronger or what makes me, you know, progress in my recovery. Isn't that I'm doing everything exactly right. It's that when things happen, you know, not according to plan, which can feel really scary, right? We like, a, everybody likes a good plan um, or predictability that when that doesn't happen, that we can say, I can, I can adapt to that, right? Like there are ways that I can adapt to the things that aren't totally within my control and that's going to make you a stronger person. Mm-hmm. So would you say that's kind of the reframe on control is recognizing that you're adaptable and recognizing that you're resilient? I think that can definitely be a huge one. Um, I think that's a wonderful strategy. There's a, um, there's a particular exercise that you can do. Um, I do it with a lot of my clients in my group or that you can do with a therapist where you can look at, Hey, here's the things that I know I'm in full control of, right? Like I can choose what I'm going to eat today, right? That's a very safe one. I can Mm -hmm. choose what I want to wear today, but maybe some things that are out of your control are like, you know, traffic, right? Like I cannot control the traffic. I live in Alabama in a fairly large city for, (laughs) I guess, for the state of Alabama, at least. And I know there's certain roads that are going to be crazy at certain times of day. And I can't control that, but I can adapt to it because I can choose to leave earlier before I get to a, you know, an appointment or something, or I can take a back road. Right. Um, And sometimes I may just get stuck in traffic and I might just have to adapt to that by turning on a song on the radio that's going to help me chill out, right? (laughs) Or call somebody and say, hey, I'm going to be 15 minutes late. I got stuck behind an accident and, you know, it's not the end of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so definitely being able to adapt is a huge one. And I like to, I like to keep things really simple too. So I I tell my clients, when you're trying to reframe control related limiting beliefs, use your ABCs. (laughs) what, what does that mean? <laughs> well, ABC, I think is a wonderful acronym for action brings clarity. And so mm-hmm. 
when you take action, even if it's messy action, if it's imperfect action, you're going to learn a whole lot more. You're going to get a whole lot more clarity by taking the action than by waiting or procrastinating or waiting until something's perfect to see what the outcome is. Mm, that's a really great one. I hadn't heard action brings clarity before, but mm-hmm. I know a lot of times this feeling of uncertainty can bring about anxiety and this need to control, but really the thing that kind of makes uncertainty feel less scary is taking action. Cause then you just end up clarifying the situation. Mm-hmm. You feel a lot better because thing you're making the uncertain a bit more certain, which helps a lot. Yes. And nothing is ever going to become familiar until you do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Like mm-hmm. there's not going to be any kind of new, you're, you're not going to have any frame of reference for something until you do it. And especially until you do it consistently. Right. Yes. So if you don't know how you're going to feel after you have that bite of brownie, you got to take that bite of brownie to find out. Right. Mm-hmm. Or take that bite of brownie six or eight, you know, different times to see, is it always going to feel this intense? Right. I'm always going to feel this anxious right afterwards. Well, no, the more you do something, the less it's going to cause that kind of response. The same as like, you know, if you have a young child or when you were young, if going to bed in the dark, like turn the, turning the lights off scared you, right. You had to have that happen enough times to see, okay, the light switch can go back on if I need it to. Right. When I close my eyes, it's going to be dark anyway. And I, it's going to be light again tomorrow, you know, for the most part, right? right. So there's, there's things that become predictable once we start taking consistent action. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so helpful. Repetition when it comes to exposing yourself to fear foods and changing mm-hmm. your behaviors is so key. You can do it once and you will learn a lot from trying it once, but neutralizing that fear and anxiety comes from the repetition piece. And yes, I couldn't huge. say that more and more to everyone I work with. It's like, you got to keep going to bring down those levels of uncertainty and anxiety. Yes. So, yes. Uh, yeah. And and I completely believe that those can be overcome. I mm-hmm. I've seen it enough times to see that you don't have to live in constant anxiety, that it's, you, you can, you can push through it, but you got to be able to sit with some of the discomfort through the process. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right. And our fourth umbrella of beliefs is about possibilities. So could you explain yes. how that goes up? Yes. So limiting beliefs that you might have that might be keeping you feeling stuck from recovery. Um, when it comes to possibilities, this shows up a lot in the, the arena of fear of failure. So if you are, if you don't know what's possible or you feel like something might not be possible, it's usually because you're afraid that you're not going to carry it out in a way that feels like success. Right. Mm. Or it might kind of, kind of, again, going back with (laughs) some of these categories can kind of overlap a little bit, right? Like if you can't control the outcome and you are afraid of failing, right. Then if you can't control whether or not you quote unquote succeed or fail, that can, that can feel really scary. And that fear of failure, that's one of those obvious red flag fears that can, that can keep you, you know, kind of from moving forward. Um, I think self-doubt, limiting beliefs around self-doubt are another big one. If you are doubtful of what's possible in your recovery, if you are doubtful that recovery is even possible at all, like, well, maybe I just need to learn. I just need to, to, to learn to live with, with this disorder and I'll, I'll follow this meal plan. I'm, I'm technically eating enough, even though it's only this, you know, small handful of foods, right? Like I'm still going you, if, if you've got that belief about 
you know, what, what is possible and that there's more to life and there's more to your recovery than you're going to typically see that show up a lot of self-doubt. Um, mm. and I, and I think lack of persistence is the other, the other big one I see. Um, and we talked about persistence a little bit, but if, if you are, if you believe that, that recovery, if we stick with this example, that recovery is not possible, then that gives you no motivation to want to persist, to want to try something again, even after that, you know, again, quote unquote, failure shows up, right? Like if, if you gave into an urge and say, well, obviously then it's not even possible for me to recover because it just happens every time, then you're not going to say, well, let me try it again, or let me, let me do it another way. Um, and so if, if you're noticing that type of belief coming up on like, or that even that's kind of an action, I guess, is, or lack thereof is lack of persistence. That can be a good little sign that you might be dealing with limiting beliefs around possibilities. That's so interesting. It is a really clear window, I think, if, and I've never really thought of it that way, but if there's, if you're just trying things once and then avoiding them after that, cause you're like, oh, there's no way I can do that again or keep going. It might be a little bit of a clue that you don't believe full recovery is possible for you. And that's really hard because I know intellectually so many people can go on YouTube and find people who have recovered, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, intellectually, I know recovery is possible, but you really have to dig deep inside yourself to say, okay, but do I really think it's possible for me? Yes. Yes. And this is where I think the persistence, like overcoming that is so key because if we go back again, you know, to the Brownie example, if um, I do a, I do a challenge with some of my clients sometimes, and I was talking about this with somebody earlier this morning is um, if we do like an exposure challenge with a, with a fear food. So if we use brownies as again, the example, and I say, okay, well give yourself a small brownie, like two or three times a day for the next week or have a couple of bites worth of brownie with every meal or every snack that you have for the next week. It's not enough to necessarily be like a full dessert or add on. It's just enough for that exposure to say, I'm going to taste it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to see what emotions come up. Then they'll come back sometimes and say, well, what, what happens if I eat that couple bites and then it's just not enough. And I just binge I'm like, well, that's a possibility, right? But that also doesn't mean that's failure. That lets you learn something, the process of going, how, how intense, like how intense were my emotions or what were the emotions coming up? Right. Mm. I think the, the term like emotional eating comes up a lot, but I think it's, you've got to dig into it. You can't just say it's emotional eating. You've got to figure out what emotions trigger that type of eating. Right. And so it gives Mm. you an opportunity to ask more questions and it's more self-discovery. And so I don't think that's a failure at all. I think that's an opportunity for learning. So if something like that happens and you go, Oh, well, obviously I couldn't do this, you know, two or three bites and I binged. And so that's, it's, it's just not possible. This is just not a challenge that I can do. Right. Mm. That's where you have to say, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to do it again because it's not going to end up in a binge every time, but it might start off that way. And that's okay. You have to give yourself permission to, you know, follow through with action and see what clarity comes from it. Like we were just talking about a minute ago. And, uh, and it's when you, when that lack of persistence stops you and allows you to, you, you allow it to keep you stuck instead of just saying, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, re- I'm recognizing what's happening. That's when, that's when the progress, that's, that's when it kind of becomes the norm, right? Instead of just, it goes from a thought to, okay, well, I believe this. So now it's just going to, it's going to be true. 
Mm-hmm. That is such a good example. You're not going to binge every time. You know, this, it's almost an experimental process to recovery. Yes. You have to keep going and trying again. You know, you just, it's not going to produce the same results every single time. Sometimes you're going to have a bite of brownie and feel loads of anxiety. Sometimes you might binge. Sometimes it's just going to be a very kind of relaxed experience and you just move on Mm -hmm. with your day and it's noticing when those emotions come up and digging deeper, which I'm so glad you mentioned. So yeah, yeah. I was just going to add one thing to that is that I think if if you're noticing those kind of things come up, right? Like that self-doubt or failure, lack of persistence. um, I think one thing that can help with that, even before you try to start reframing is just recognizing that there's probably a root issue or concern there around your lack of faith or hope, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has faith in something and whether you're looking at spiritual beliefs or anything else, fear, fear is faith. It's just putting your faith in something that hasn't happened yet. Right. And so thinking about where am I placing my faith? Do I have faith that recovery is possible. So I have faith in the possibility or hope in the possibility, or am I placing my faith in an unknown future that I'm just terrified is going to happen? I love that. I think that's really helpful. And you can ask yourself that question within recovery and also in life, you know, whenever Mm -hmm. you feel, feel fear coming up, just ask yourself, where am I placing my faith or my trust? And Mm -hmm. that's so eye opening. And would you say that's kind of the step to reframing that possibility umbrella? Yeah, I think that leads you like right into it because mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the best ways to reframe, especially when you don't know, I mean, possibilities have to do with the future, right? Like, so in order to to see what's possible, I think it can be really helpful to turn any of those negative limiting belief statements into an open-ended question. I love open-ended questions. And I think this can become super empowering because an example might be, um, okay, my limiting belief might be, well, I'm just, I'm never going to recover from my eating disorder or I'm never going to stop binging. It's always going to be like this, right? And so taking that negative statement that's keeping you feeling stuck and turning it into an open-ended question, like, well, what can I specifically do to defy my eating disorder today? Right. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not focused on the very end. I'm trying to figure out what's possible in this moment. So if the eating disorder is telling me to restrict, what can I specifically do to defy that right now? So maybe it's opposite action. Maybe it's saying I'm going to go at least have a snack. Right. I'm trying if if the thought is I need to restrict my whole meal, I'm going to at least eat something and just defy the eating disorder, disobey it. (laughs) Right. I don't have to be obedient to the eating disorder. And so you can just ask yourself those kind of questions in the moment. And those can be really great ways to feel like I don't have to have an answer, but I can at least ask myself a question about what I could do to see what's possible. Yes. Yes. That's such a simple tool, but very effective. And I, I know for a fact that sometimes just asking an open-ended question can expand the way you think, and that can bring so much relief in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. All four of those, (laughs) which I I love hearing all of the ways you were able to reframe and articulate what these beliefs 
do and how they show up in recovery. You also mentioned earlier to me that you had some tools. I know you just came up with one, the open-ended question, but do you have Mm -hmm. any tools? Like if someone has a set of beliefs in front of them that they're looking to reframe, are there any more tools that you suggest applying to these thoughts and beliefs? Yeah. So I would say if you've, if you've kind of got a list of your core beliefs and, and this is something I go through through with my clients in depth, um, one-to-one and, and group coaching. Cause I think one of the biggest tools that you need is outside perspective because mm. it's so hard to tell when you have a core belief, if it's something that you constantly believe is true, it's really hard to just in your mind, look at it and justify like, well, maybe this isn't true. Right. You kind of need some outside perspective. So whether it's a team member, you know, like a recovery coach or dietitian um, or a therapist, um, maybe maybe it's a friend or a peer. I would kind of my encouragement or caveat with that would be to make sure you're you're getting that outside input from someone who's not going through the same struggle as you are, or at least who's not in the same stage of it. That's further along than you to have some of that outside perspective. Um, and I know sometimes it can be hard to find accountability or to, to be willing to be open with people. And that's one of those little fear, uh, red flags. I would say that might be one of your core beliefs. I'm like, what, what if I tell somebody and it turns out, you know, X, Y, Z way. Um, and so that, that gives you an opportunity to say, well, I need to, I, I don't have to tell everybody everything. Right. But I need at least one or two people that I can be honest with. And so mm-hmm. one of my, my first suggestions is to get not just support, but accountability, because there's a difference, right? Yeah. You can have, you can have somebody that loves you. That's helping you go through the process. And they say, Hey, let me give you some encouragement. Let me pour into you. But that's not the same as having somebody follow through and say, Hey, let me, let me call you out a little bit. Let me ask you some questions. I need you to be honest with me. Did you follow through with this? Right. And if you do follow through with it, or if you don't being able to say, well, what is the follow up from that? How can I how can I keep you accountable so that this just doesn't keep happening? So support and accountability go hand in hand, but for sure the accountability piece is a big one. That is a big one. I'm glad that you brought that one up. And and I think another, um, another tool I would say, and this, this is something that, that I really do a deep dive in with my clients because I think it helps to again, kind of have some additional perspective, but to start asking yourself questions about like, what is, what is my purpose? Do I have some focus on what is, what is my purpose or what are some of my goals? Who am I looking at identity piece, right? Who am I outside of my eating disorder? And Mm -hmm. if you're looking through your limiting beliefs and most of them kind of lead back to, to that identity of, okay, well, who am I without this? If I didn't believe this, or if this belief didn't dictate my decisions, right? Because you have a, you have a belief your beliefs are going to kind of be the, the kindling to your different thoughts, right? Your thoughts are going to lead to feelings and emotions, and that's going to eventually lead to behaviors, right? So they're all like one thing leads to another. And so if all of your core beliefs are going to lead to a behavior that is disordered, or if it plays back into, you know, some of those thoughts and identities around, or those thoughts and beliefs around your identity, that's where you need to, when you, when you can focus on your purpose. And like I said, when you can get back to that place of Mm -hmm. is my identity in someone or something unshakable, Mm -hmm. that's where that's you asking yourself some questions that lead you back to that place or to say, Hey, here's where I think I'm finding my identity. 
what questions can I ask myself to see if it's really unshakable or not? Um, Mm -hmm. I think even just asking yourself that question can be a a huge, hugely helpful tool. I think so too. That's, I love that unshakable. I'm going to start using that (laughs) word. It's such a nice point of reference to know where your worth is coming from. And if you need to be finding your worth from somewhere else, that's more stable, more unshakable. So yes. Great. Awesome. So I did want to ask you about one more thing before we wrap up our episode. And this is the power of words. You brought this up to me before we started the show. And because we were talking about beliefs and almost the language we use with beliefs, I wanted to hear more about the power of words and how that can transform your recovery process. Yes. So this was a huge uh, point of freedom for me is, (laughs) and again, I always, I'm always a proponent of having some healthy perspective. Um, But when you can kind of do like a little self-check on how, how are my sentences starting? Am I using a lot of I am statements and putting labels on things or putting labels on yourself, especially um, that can be so damaging. I think words, the power, the power of words in the tongue has the ability to change so many things, right? If you think about a ship, right? It has this tiny little rudder, but it steers the direction of this massive vessel, right? Um, same with a horse that has like a small bit in its mouth, but it, you can make the horse go all kinds of different ways, right? And so our tongue does the same thing. Whenever we're speaking things over ourselves or over other people or about ourselves, um, it really starts impacting what we believe. And so chances are you have some, some um, core beliefs or limiting beliefs that have kind of been re- like inundated or that you're just um, like, they're just super, super true for you because maybe somebody spoke it over you at one point, but you kind of came into agreement with it and you just reiterated that to yourself. Right. One of the, one of the big things I am very aware of is when someone comes to me and says, Hey, I'm anorexic or I'm bulimic or whatever. I'm like, no, no, let's stop. Right. Maybe you struggle with restrictive behaviors, right? We're not putting that label on you that you are anorexic because that's not who you are. That's not who you were created to be. You weren't born this way and this is not your final destination, right? So let's take that I am off of it and let's talk Mm -hmm. about what the struggle or the behavior is, not, not the identity, because that's where it's so easy to get wrapped up in your identity inside your eating disorder is when you're using a lot of those I am statements and you may not even realize it. It becomes, I think kind of a, I don't know if fun is exactly the right word, but an insightful <laughs> awareness kind of bringing activity to say, gosh, how many times am I saying I am sick, right? Or I am incapable or I am whatever it is. Um, and being able to stop yourself mid-sentence or at the end and say, let me go ahead and just, I'm going to say it out loud and say it a different way, right? Maybe yes. I'm currently struggling with this, not I am this. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. <laughs> exactly. It's helpful to separate yourself from the behavior. So even just saying, like, if you're saying I'm an anorexic, that like stings my heart whenever I hear people say that because it ties their identity to a label and to their behaviors. And I, it might be helpful to just say something like, I am an amazing person who struggles with anorexia, or yes. you don't believe that quite yet. Just, I am an, I am a, 
person or I'm a human who's living with anorexia. Yes. And that could be applied to all behaviors in life. It doesn't just have to be eating disorders. Yes, absolutely. And, and I be, I'm a full believer too, that the more positive words that you speak over yourself, and this is something I work real specifically with my clients on. I'm like, let's don't just come up with something positive, but let's look for something that is the opposite of what you're telling yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Like if you're saying I am, you know, incapable, then affirmations are wonderful, <laughs> but they can, but I think they're more effective when they're targeted affirmations. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's another process and that would be a whole nother conversation. Um, but that might be something really helpful if, you know, if you're working with a team um, to ask one of your team members, like, Hey, can you help me figure out how to target my affirmations in a way that's, that's going to make them more effective so that you're not struggling. And then just saying like, I am strong or I am courageous or I am whatever. Those are great things, but if they're not combating the lie that you're believing, they're not going to be as effective. Yes. I think affirmations need to be really personalized and target those beliefs that are holding you specifically as a person back. Yes. So I couldn't agree more. All right. So I think the power of words is so valuable and that that was very enlightening just to help us with all of that. Anyway, unfortunately we have come to the end of our time (laughs) today, but you have been so helpful and wonderful. And before I let you go, I wanted to ask you if you have any mantras or beliefs or words that are, that you think are really impactful to those with eating disorders that you'd like to offer to those listening today. Yeah. So what I'll say about this kind of my, my personal one actually comes from um, an experience in a small group setting. I have a, a friend and kind of mentor who's really spoken a lot into my life. And um, I won't go into the whole backstory of it, but Uh, my husband and I were struggling with infertility several years ago. And in the process of, I was already working with some women in the recovery arena. And one of the things that this mentor of mine spoke over me that I love to encourage my clients with is actually scripture. Um, And I think your, your sort of mantra or your encouraging statement can be lots of different things. Scripture is one that's really important for me because for me, it's an inarguable truth. Right. So if I'm believing a lie and I can replace it with something that I believe is true, then I can't argue it. And so um, so this verse that she spoke over me was from Mark 11, verse 24. And it says, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And I love that for um, for my clients who have that faith foundation. A lot of them really find a lot of hope and encouragement in that, because when you're in the middle of the the recovery process and the struggle, it's sometimes hard to see, see the end. And I think there's so much power in Thanksgiving. And so being able to say, mm-hmm. Lord, I, even though it hasn't happened yet, thank you that you are leading me through this recovery process. And I am believing, right. Coming back to those limiting beliefs, like I'm not going to choose to have a limiting belief that, that I'm not worthy or that I'm not capable or whatever it might be. I'm believing that you are, you're bringing me this gift of recovery and that it is mine. And I'm on my way to receiving it. I love that. I, I love praying in the form of thanking God for the things you have not yet received. So that is really powerful. Just if I know not everyone who listens to this podcast is a faith-based person, but if you are, 
And you can apply this to thanking the universe or mother nature or anything, but just thank you for my recovery. Thank you, Mm -hmm. God, for the recovery that you're giving me. And you might not be there yet, but if you have gratitude for it as if it's already happened, it can be really powerful and impact your path. Yes, absolutely. hundred percent. I think it has so much potential to even help you like starting your day off with that Thanksgiving or that gratitude can help you notice things during the day that you are, that, that are those little wins or that you're grateful for along the way. So I think it can be a huge uh, perspective shifter too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brittany. I am so grateful for you to <laughs> come on the show today. Do you have, um, before we leave, actually, could you please just share like, where everyone can find you and how they can get in touch with you if they'd like to work with you? Yeah, absolutely. So um, easiest way to get in touch with me, you can head to Instagram. Um, I'm at Brittany Braswell RD. Or if you want to head to my website, it's BrittanyBraswellRD.com. And I do have some free tools. We talked about a little bit today on margin and schedules. I do have a, a couple of free resources that can help you create hopefully some margin. Um, and if, if sort of that faith-based approach um, is something that you're interested in, I do have a, a free ebook to download that walks through the, the 10 principles of intuitive eating from a faith-based perspective. So uh, yeah, so that's there if, if anybody would like some additional free support. Um, and then I'd love to, you know, I'm on Facebook as well at Brittany Brazel RD, but I host a, a support group there for women free of charge that um, does have a faith-based component to it, but we just have a lot of fun and try to get some encouragement and resources to you uh, throughout the week. So that is, you can find that through my, through my Facebook page. Wonderful. Those are going to be amazing resources for all of you listening. Definitely go check those out. And Brittany, I hope you have an amazing day. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yes. Thank you so much, Mike, for having me. I'm grateful for you as well. And for, for all of your listeners who are tuning in.